0: Welcome to the vodcast. When it comes to specialized professions, the public is generally ill-equipped to judge the merits, or lack thereof, of a narrative put out by those who are credentialed in a specialized field. We witnessed that during the SARS-CoV-2 event. The public, being unable to make heads or tails of the science, accepted or rejected various narratives based on their opinion of the credibility of people in the media who were opposing or defending the narratives. And of course, a lot of that had to do with confirmation bias. The law and how America's legal system actually works is another specialized field concerning which the vast majority of Americans know very little. In the context of that, Americans know very little about the law and how our legal system actually operates, we now have the indictment of former President Donald Trump. And as was the case with SARS-CoV-2, people are forming their outlook based on their opinion of the credibility of people in the media who oppose or defend the indictment. And once again, a lot of that involves confirmation bias. I thought we might take a few minutes today to cut through all the media and social media rhetoric and take an objective look at the indictment as well as examine some of the things that are being said in the press. I'm also going to explain the true bottom line about what is actually occurring that no one in the media is saying out loud. The Dr. Reality Vodcast with Dave Champion. Let's start with this. The purpose of this presentation is not to convince you of anything in any particular direction. Phrased another way, this presentation is not a defense of Donald Trump nor a condemnation of him in terms of the crimes alleged in the indictment. My purpose today is to give you an informed framework from which to make your own judgment. If we're going to discuss a criminal indictment, we should know what a criminal indictment is. Perhaps the best place to ascertain that is from Rule 7 of the Federal Rules of Criminal Procedure, which reads, in its relevant part, quote, "...the indictment must be a plain, concise, and definite written statement of the essential facts constituting the offense charged and must be signed by an attorney for the government. It need not contain a formal introduction or conclusion. For each count, the indictment must give the official or customary citation of the statute, rule, regulation, or other provision of law that that the defendant is alleged to have violated." close quote. Because I'm going to ask you a number of questions about the indictment, I'm going to put a link in the notes to the full 44-page indictment. And honestly, if you have any integrity, you shouldn't be talking about this matter unless or until you've read the entire 44 pages. People feeling they are free to talk shit about things concerning which they haven't done their homework is, in my opinion, one of the biggest problems today in American society. So, Please, don't be that guy. Let's perform a strictly technical analysis of the indictment. In other words, does it meet the requirements set forth in Rule 7? If we isolate the requirements for a valid indictment under Rule 7, here's what they look like. First, it must be, quote, a plain, concise, and definite written statement of the essential facts constituting the offense charged. Next, it must be signed by an attorney for the government. And finally, it says for each count, the indictment must give the official or customary citation of the statute, rule, regulation, or other provision of law that the defendant is alleged to have violated. So my first question for you is, does the indictment against Donald Trump fulfill the requirements laid out in Rule 7? If it does, we move forward with our investigation. If it does not, we don't need to go any further because it wouldn't be a valid indictment. What allegations are made against Trump in the indictment? Do you trust the media? If not, perhaps you should read the indictment for yourself. I could read the entire 44-page indictment for you here today, but that would be time-consuming and dry, especially since you should be reading it for yourself. In the interest of time, I'll give you the government's allegations in plain English. You needn't take my word for anything, Because you're going to read the indictment for yourself, right? I'm going to number what I lay out for you in plain English from the indictment. There's a reason for that, which we'll get into as we proceed. Also, keep in mind that 100% of the allegations pertain to Trump's actions after he was no longer president. In the indictment, the U.S. Department of Justice alleges Donald Trump did or caused to be done the following, which it contends are violations of law. One, he took numerous classified documents with him to his residence, which the law forbade him from doing. Two, when the government came calling for their classified records, he moved them to a location in his residence where government officials would not be permitted to go and thus would not see the classified documents. Three, He discussed with one of his attorneys whether he could get away with saying the documents had been destroyed or otherwise no longer existed. Four. Had one of his attorneys sent a letter to the government stating all classified documents in Trump's possession had been returned to the government knowing that statement was false. Five. For a time, he stored the boxes containing the classified documents on the stage of his ballroom where numerous public events are held. Six. He showed one of the classified files to a small group and told them it was classified. 7. He showed a representative of a political action committee part of a classified file and told her he was not supposed to do that because the document is classified. 8. Employees working for the ex-president, who did not have security clearances, routinely handled the boxes containing classified documents. 9. On at least one occasion, content spilled out of boxes onto the floor, clearly displaying files marked top secret. 10. He appointed a custodian of records to deal with the government concerning the classified documents, while concealing from the custodian the existence of a number of classified documents so the custodian would make false statements to the government. 11. When a federal grand jury subpoenaed classified documents it believed were in his possession, Trump surrendered some classified documents while retaining others and conspired with other persons to conceal that he did not surrender all documents required by the subpoena. Twelve, a grand jury issued a search warrant for the ex-president's residence. When the warrant was executed, numerous classified documents required by the earlier subpoena to have been surrendered to the government were found in Trump's residence. And thirteen. Over the course of the above actions, Trump knowingly, willfully, and intentionally took steps to obstruct a federal investigation. That's a plain English recitation of what the government alleges Trump did. Now, let's quickly consider the legal grounds for dismissing a federal criminal indictment. Dismissal can take place for several reasons, but on a practical basis, there are really only two. First, the indictment was handed down after the statute of limitations had expired for the crimes alleged. And second, the indictment fails to include sufficient facts supporting the allegations. Neither is applicable in this matter. Now that we know a bit about indictments generally and the indictment against Trump specifically, what are we hearing from various social media influencers and even Trump? I've chosen just a few examples to discuss with you today because I think you'll find after the first few, going through them all would not be a wise expenditure of our time together. The first one for today is the narrative that the Presidential Records Act superseded the Espionage Act. According to this argument, since the PRA is civil in nature, the entire indictment is legally invalid. As you might imagine, the claim that the PRA superseded the Espionage Act is ridiculous nonsense. If you come across this stupidity, simply ask the person to provide evidence any evidence, whether legislative, executive, or judicial, that the PRA superseded the Espionage Act. Once you ask for supporting evidence, you'll never hear from the person again because it's cockamamie nonsense, only an idiot or a troll would say. The next claim is that since there has been no accusation Trump turned over classified documents to a foreign power, any charge under the Espionage Act is invalid. Is that true? The vast majority of Americans will never read the indictment. Fewer still will read the Espionage Act. Here are the facts about the Espionage Act. There is no requirement in the Act for the national defense secrets to be turned over to a foreign entity in order to have violated the Act. It is sufficient under the Act that one possesses classified documents concerning which he or she is not authorized. Second, if it was true that for charters to be brought under the Act, the accused would have to have turned over classified materials to a foreign entity— then charges could only be brought after the secrets got into enemy hands. Does anyone in their right mind actually believe that's how the Espionage Act works? Another argument is that Trump can't be prosecuted under the provision of the Espionage Act that criminalizes possession of classified documents because section 793E that criminalizes such possession doesn't expressly use the words classified documents. So, First off, the phrase classified documents does not appear in section 793E. That is a fact. The question then becomes, does that make any difference as a matter of law? And more pointedly, does it make any difference concerning the indictment of Trump? Let's go through the facts. You can make up your own mind. What does 793E say? It's heavy with legalese, so I'm going to strip out all of the language that's extraneous to the question at hand and focus on just the part that's relevant to the Trump indictment. I'll put a link to the statute in the notes, and I encourage you to read the full text for yourself. Section 793E reads, in its relevant part, quote, Whoever, having unauthorized possession of, access to, or control over any document relating to the national defense or information relating to the national defense, which information the possessor has reason to believe could be used to the injury of the United States or to the advantage of any foreign nation, willfully retains the same and fails to deliver it to the officer or employee of the United States entitled to receive it, blah, 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 close quote. Even that stripped-down version was a little wordy, so let's break that down. The first element is, quote, whoever having unauthorized possession. As a former president, was Trump authorized? He was not as a matter of law. While a former president may apply for a waiver that allows him to possess certain classified documents, Trump never applied for such a waiver. As a former president who did not apply for the waiver, he was not authorized to possess those documents. Phrased another way, he was unauthorized, which is the word used in the statute. The next part states that materials concerning which the unauthorized person has possession relate to national defense which information the possessor has reason to believe, could be used to the injury of the United States. The key words there are, has reason to believe could be used to the injury of the United States. Having been in the Oval Office for four years, do we imagine Trump is aware of the government's classification system and what those classification levels mean? After four years in the Oval Office, of course he does. With that understanding, let's take a look at what the three levels of classification mean. We'll start with top secret and work our way down. Quote Information is classified as top secret if the authorized disclosure of that information reasonably could be expected to cause exceptionally grave damage to the national security. So, top secret designates exceptionally grave damage to the national security if disclosed to unauthorized persons. Next, information is classified as secret if the unauthorized disclosure of that information reasonably could be expected to cause serious damage to the national security. So, secret steps down from exceptionally grave damage to serious damage. Next, information is classified as confidential if the unauthorized disclosure of that information reasonably could be expected to cause damage to the national security. So... Confidential steps down from serious damage to simply damage. Hopefully you noted that each of these three classification means the information contained in the document has the ability to injure national security. And what is the language of the statute? Quote, The possessor has reason to believe the information could be used to the injury of the United States. The possessor in this indictment, is Trump. As we've discussed, he knew documents marked top secret, secret, or confidential are thusly classified because the information contained in those files can reasonably be expected to injure the national security of the United States. The last element of the statute is willfully retains such information. In law, what does willful mean? It means the person knows he or she is under a legal duty to do or not do a particular thing and chooses to do or not do that thing despite knowing his or her actions violate the law. Feel free to back this presentation up and go through this breakdown again if you didn't quite grasp it all. Since we've discussed the meaning of top secret, secret, and confidential, we should probably consider what documents were in Trump's possession. According to the indictment, The following classified documents were found during the search of Mar-a-Lago. 17 files marked top secret. 54 files marked secret. 31 files marked confidential. So, to recap. The evidence demonstrates Trump was in possession of classified documents. He was not authorized to be in possession of said documents. He had reason to know that the content of the documents could harm national security. And he willfully retained them. I hope this makes it clear that the absence of the phrase classified documents does not invalidate prosecution under Section 793E. Before I move on, let me point out that at trial, the burden is upon the government to prove each element of the crime to the jury beyond a reasonable doubt. And Trump will have the opportunity to challenge each of those elements. Another assertion is that the criminal case will evaporate at trial because portions of the indictment rely on the testimony of Evan Corcoran, a former Trump attorney. The grand jury attained Corcoran's testimony after federal judge determined attorney client privilege should be set aside because evidence submitted to the court indicated conversations between Trump and Corcoran likely involved planning a crime. Setting aside attorney-client privilege under such circumstances is known as the crime-fraud exception. I'm not going to delve into that today because it is, in fact, irrelevant to the validity of the indictment. If a federal court determined the crime-fraud exception applied to conversations between Corcoran and Trump, Then the grand jury was entitled to hear Corcoran's testimony, and there is nothing unlawful about that testimony being used in part or in whole as the basis for the indictment. If the court erred in its determination about the crime fraud exception, that's a matter to be addressed at trial, and this presentation is about the indictment, not a trial that hasn't yet taken place. A quick note about the trial. It is currently scheduled to begin on August 14th, 2023, and as I'm recording this, Jack Smith turned over all of the government's evidence to Trump's attorneys yesterday. Let me take a quick moment to ask you to subscribe to the channel or follow the page and hit the like button. By doing so, you signal the algorithms to share this content with more people. Thank you for doing those simple things to spread the message. One attempt to supposedly call into question the validity of the indictment, has been for a person to ask, why now? The question is then answered by the very person who asked it, and the narrative presented is that the indictment must be considered suspect because of its timing. I leave it to you to determine whether the indictment should be considered suspect, but it certainly has nothing to do with timing. Nara first reached out to Trump in May of 2021, seeking the return of documents belonging to the United States government under the Presidential Records Act. Every bit of the timing of this situation has been in Trump's control since that moment, including Trump not responding to Nara's request for seven months. If, when Nara had first contacted Trump, he'd simply told Nara, send a truck and you can take all the boxes, the matter would have ended right then and there. Also, had Trump said that to NARA, prosecution under 793E would not have been possible because Trump would not have willfully retained classified documents. In short, the why now claim is nonsensical. This claim has been made by Donald Trump. Trump has asserted the documents in his possession were his personal property. I'm confident the content of some of the boxes was Trump's personal property— But witness testimony before the grand jury makes it clear Trump knew he was in possession of classified documents. And of course, DOJ made it crystal clear in its numerous telephone conversations with Trump's attorneys that it was seeking the return of classified documents, not any of Trump's personal property. Do I need to mention that documents that have been classified are always the property of the U.S. government because they are created by federal agencies? In a recent Fox News interview, Trump claimed he wanted to return the documents, but he was very busy and didn't have time to go through the boxes to determine what items were his and what items belonged to the government. That is, of course, absurd. Grand Jury Witness Testimony informs us that Trump was personally involved in selecting what documents went to Mar-a-Lago. NARA reached out to Trump in May 2021, seeking the return of all documents in Trump's possession belonging to the government. Because Trump was personally involved in selecting what went to Mar-a-Lago, he knew what was in the boxes. In fact, Trump selected more than 300 classified documents to be moved to Mar-a-Lago. Despite Nara reaching out on numerous occasions, Trump didn't respond to Nara's request until December 2021, seven months after the initial request. In that response, Trump said he had located some documents. In mid-January, Nara received 15 boxes from Trump. That's 15 boxes after Nara waited eight months. More importantly, After those 15 boxes went to NARA, Trump still retained more than 80 boxes. According to grand jury testimony, well after NARA had requested the return of all documents belonging to the United States government, Trump was showing people classified documents and telling them the documents were classified, so clearly he knew what he had. But leaving all those facts aside, Trump's I was busy statement conveys that he knew he had documents the law required him to turn over to the government, but simply chose to not make rectifying his illegal acts a priority. And of course, that goes to the element of willfully retained, and it also supports a charge of obstruction. One of the deflections I've observed is to criticize Jack Smith. Finding something about which to criticize a career prosecutor isn't difficult. When you have a setback at work, the world doesn't know about it. When a government prosecutor has a setback, it's a matter of public record for everyone to see. In short, you can find something over which to criticize any career prosecutor. I'm not really sure what these folks hope to accomplish by criticizing Smith. And of course, ultimately, the question of Trump's guilt or innocence will be determined by a jury with zero regard to who headed up the investigation that led to the indictment. One of the weirdest criticisms I've heard about Smith is that he's a leftist. If true, I suppose that would be convenient for certain influencers, but it's not true. Smith is registered independent, and there is nothing in his record that would indicate any political leaning left or right, although when he took over DOJ's public integrity section, he closed ongoing investigations against Senator John Ensign, Congressman Tom DeLay, and Congressman Charles Lewis—all Republicans— Another deflection is that Trump did the same exact thing as Biden and Pence. Remember when I said earlier that I'd numbered the key points in the indictment for a reason? This particular assertion is why I numbered them. If you recall, there were 13 key points. The first one was that Trump took numerous classified documents with him to his residence, which the law forbade him from doing. As we've discussed earlier, the law forbade that because Trump, as a former president, was an unauthorized person. If we consider the Biden and Pence situations, at the time the documents were taken to their homes, they were vice presidents, and as such, they were authorized to be in possession. Of course, after they left office, they were no longer authorized to possess those documents. But as far as prosecution goes, we're back to the requirement that unauthorized persons must willfully retain the documents. When the older classified documents were found to be in their possession, Biden and Pence immediately instructed their attorneys to work with DOJ to get the documents into the government's possession. As such, they did not willfully retain them, which is a requirement for prosecution under 793E. So while one might attempt to claim that allegation number one from the indictment also applies to Biden and Pence, that simply is not factual. More importantly, there are 12 additional illegal actions alleged against Trump, none of which were committed by Biden or Pence when older classified documents were found in their possession. In short, the claim that Pence and Biden did the same thing as Trump is not factual. We've gone through a lot of information today, so can we get real for a moment? Can we talk about the true bottom line of this entire thing? You're probably unaware that whenever an investigation focuses on classified documents, the part of the Department of Justice that handles that is the National Security Division, which includes the counterintelligence section. The men and women who work in DOJ's National Security Division go up against the most brilliant minds in foreign intelligence services across the globe. Obviously, they have to be incredibly sharp to go up against the best minds of America's adversaries. In other words, the men and women who work there are not to be trifled with, yet that is exactly what Trump did. To put it bluntly, Trump was indicted because he tried to hoodwink DOJ's National Security Division. Earlier, I mentioned DOJ had visited Mar-a-Lago with Trump's permission. That visit took place on June 3rd, 2022, and the DOJ attorney who showed up that day was none other than Jay Bratt, who has been in charge of the U.S. government's counterintelligence section for years. Brat has seen it all. He's seen every trick in the book for years. No one is going to fool Brat. So, let me put this as plainly as anyone can say it. You do not fuck around with Jay Brat. When Brat walks into the room, you tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth— Or you go to prison. There is no argument, no equivocation, no coulda, woulda, shoulda. You tell Brad the truth or you go to prison. Period. Trump didn't do that. Rather than tell Brad the truth, during Brad's June 3rd visit to Mar-a-Lago, Trump lied to Brad, telling him the boxes he was shown in the storage room were the only boxes from the White House remaining at Mar-a-Lago. According to grand jury testimony, the truth was Trump had ordered most of the boxes containing classified material moved to other locations on the property so Brat would not see them and Trump could keep them. Trump's actions on June 3rd support the element of willfully retaining as well as an obstruction charge. The one guy in the entire U.S. government you never want to lie to, at least if you'd like to continue breathing free air, is Brat. And Trump lied to him. No one made Trump do that. He chose it. That's the bottom line of what's going on here. Trump was indicted because for months he attempted to mislead Justice Department investigators from the National Security Division. And then he straight up lied to Jay Bratt about his possession of classified documents. There is a wide spectrum of feelings about Donald Trump. Sentiments range from viewing him as the worst thing that ever happened to the presidency, to people thinking so highly of him that they'd be okay with him being president for life. No matter where you are on that spectrum, I'd like to know what you think about this type of objective look at the indictment. I'm not asking whether you think Trump is innocent or guilty. I'm asking what your feelings are about this kind of analysis of the facts. As an example, if you're one of those folks who support Trump passionately, did today's presentation anger you? If you're closer to the other end of the spectrum, do you feel you got more from this assessment than you do from the dominant media? No matter what camp you're in, I'd appreciate you putting your thoughts in the comments. In the introduction, I mentioned that law and how America's legal system works is a specialized field concerning which the vast majority of Americans know very little. Perhaps this presentation made you more aware of that reality than you were before we spent this time together today. One of the areas in which this lack of knowledge is most disturbing is the American people acquiescing to the government's big lie— about the income tax. It's estimated that 142 million Americans file a Form 1040 every year, and tens of millions of businesses file Form 1120. Let me give you some rough estimates concerning how many should be filing those returns based on what U.S. tax law really says, rather than the false fear-driven narrative blindly accepted by most Americans. Of those 142 million people who file Form 1040 every year, for no better reason then they've never read a word of tax law, probably less than 100,000 have actually been made liable by U.S. tax law and are required to file. The other 141,900,000 Americans file and pay because they believe a lie. The same is true of the tens of millions of businesses that file every year. Probably less than 10,000 are required to file or pay based on what the law really says. I've always marveled at how successful the U.S. government has been at terrifying Americans into paying a tax that has never been imposed on them, and being so fearful that many refuse to even look at what the law really says. Imagine, if you will, a government being so successful at creating fear based on disinformation that people in the home of the brave are literally too scared to read the truth with their own eyes. There's a lot appearing in the media and on social media these days about issues such as gender fluidity, trans folks, drag shows, and so forth. I would suggest to you American is at much greater risk from moral cowards than from a guy dressing up like a woman and dancing on stage. Sure, the guy dressed like a woman is actually a man with testicles. But the man who is so fearful he refuses to stand up for his rights against government propaganda in my view, has no testicles at all. And while we're talking about testicles, the number of women purchasing income tax shattering them has soared over the last few years. Thank you, ladies. In other words, American women are growing balls for freedom and liberty, while lots of men have lost theirs to government-induced fears. Here's a comment made on social media by a reader just about a week ago. Ty said, Best damn book I've ever read. A bag of mixed emotions as you turn the pages. Pissed off, hatred, rage, yet grateful for the years of research a patriot undertook to enlighten those who always knew the scam but couldn't grasp the legal fraud. Close quote. So which are you? The fearful guy or the one who wants to know the truth? After all, you can't decide which path is right or best for you if you wallow in fear-based ignorance, right? You can only make a choice whatever choice that ends up being, after you know the facts. Fortunately, Income Tax Shattering the Mist makes it so easy for you. In 13 years, Income Tax Shattering the Mist has never gotten less than 4.5 stars, with most ratings being 5 star. As I've read the reviews from readers who give it 4.5 stars, they say it's because they had to read certain parts more than once. I understand. When a person has been brainwashed by government disinformation, government propaganda, His entire life, I get that it may take reading certain parts more than once to unfuck his brain. Here's another reader comment. Hey, Dave, just wanted to say thank you for writing your book. I got it Friday and finished it yesterday. It was amazingly clear and explained so much. I've had a discussion with our company accountant and HR today, and the accountant was blown away and said that it all makes sense. He said he's buying the book today. Again, thank you close quote. So again, which are you? Are you petrified with fear, even if you tell yourself you're not? Or are you one of the people who are part of the home of the brave? If you're the latter, this is an exceptional time to learn the truth right now, because income tax shattering the miss is 15% off. To get that discount, all you need to do is enter the coupon code OWNIT. The code and the link, they're in the notes. Also, if you purchase income tax shattering the miss, and body science together, you'll get 15% off income tax shattering the miss and free shipping on your order. So, what is body science? I'll answer that briefly. I don't know if you're aware that the American people are the most diseased people in all of human history. And here's the kicker. That is not happenstance. It's intentional. And much like the income tax, most Americans believe what they've been told about human physiology for decades— it seemingly never occurs to them that a coalition of government government and various trillion-dollar industries have literally set out to make you sick. The government lies about virtually everything, but it wouldn't lie about that, right? It wouldn't lie with the intent of making the American people sicker and sicker, right? Body of science provides you with hard core evidence— Showing that is exactly what they've been doing. It also shows you how human physiology really works, how the 100 trillion cells of your body are genetically coded to operate, and allows you to compare the truth with their lies. Once you have the facts, the ball is in your court. Here's a reader comment about body science. Steve said... The best thing anyone can do is first read your book, Body Science. Just like a car, before you can fix it, you must understand how it works. Same goes with your body. Plus, you have to also understand everything you've ever been told about weight loss, and your diet is 99% lie. Once you put those two things together, then you can fix your body. Without them, you are pretty much wasting your time and probably your money. So if you are serious about fixing your body, get Dave's book. You will thank him later. Close quote. To get 15% off income tax shattering the mist and free shipping on your order, grab the two-book bundle that includes Body Science. For the bundle, use the coupon code freebie. The code and the link to that bundle are down in the notes. Purchasing income tax shattering the mist and Body Science also supports me being here for you with these thought-provoking presentations. Please share this vodcast everywhere. Thank you so much for being here and take care.